Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Danny Corcoran. And today, Danny, as always, has got a nice coffee. How are you doing, Danny? I'm good. It's waking me up on this Friday morning. You always make fun of my iced coffee, but it's, it's what gets me going. I make fun of your iced coffee because it's like three degrees outside and you're, you're dressed in a t-shirt, sipping an iced coffee like you're in Mallorca. Um, yes, it's sunny in Glasgow, so... You know, that, that's when, an when Anything past ten degrees is is like summer. Anything past the frigid winter of Scotland is considered summer. Anyway, today we're gonna do a roundup of the top four race. Look at the running. Um, we're taking a step away from the team specific to kind of pull out a little bit because we're gonna focus on a few teams, but obviously still a little bit more in detail. Look at each of these teams. But as always, we're going to do a little rundown of what's been happening over the past few days in the Serie A and to do with the Serie A teams. Um, we're obviously not going to focus on uh, results because that will kind of factor into our next part. But we'll focus on results in the Champions League, Europa League and UEFA Conference League. Obviously, I said that in reverse order in terms of quality, as we all know. Um, so we're going to start with the Champions League. And the Champions League was one of shocks, I'd say. Obviously, Inter and AC were both put in as the sort of third and fourth favourite, whichever way you want to put it around, probably Inter at fourth and Milan at AC at third. But both teams managed to get a victory. So we're going to start with Inter versus Benfica. Inter won 2-0 thanks to a goal from Nicola Barella and Romelu Lukaku. Did you get to watch any of that, Dami? I didn't watch it live. I've watched some of it back. I think... Most of us expected Benfica to at least win the home leg because Inter have just been really poor in the league recently. But then I think Benfica got beat by Porto at home in the league at the weekend. And then obviously this has happened. Um, and Jackie's tactics are quite suited to knockout ties. I think he got away with it a bit in, in Porto. Um, so they've played two Portuguese teams on the bounce. But... It worked here, um, 2-0, you'd probably expect them to, to go through, although Benfica can tend to turn it on, so one goal maybe sets doubt in quite a fragile inter-team at the moment, but we'll see. You don't want to undermine a team that's got it all this way in the Champions League, but some of Inter's results have been them getting battered, not conceding somehow, and then them just getting a goal, which I think was the portal tie in a nutshell. Obviously, I thought Benfica played quite well. I thought they probably dominated the game for large portions. They just couldn't seem to find the, the goal. Uh, they just didn't, couldn't seem to find a way to get past them. And then, obviously, the two goals... I think Barella's was their first shot on target in the entire game. Uh, so, it was kind of a bit of a mad one from there. And then we look uh, on to the other side of that side of the draw. Because I think it is, if Inter go through, then it is going to be a Serie A team in the final. Because the other... Um, leg of that draw is Milan versus Napoli. Napoli again without Osimhen and again creating a lot of chances that they just don't seem to know how to get onto the end of and the, again it cost them but this time obviously not by a four goal thrashing but by a one goal um, one goal thrashing in inverted commas and that was Ismail Benacare, um scored and put Milan 1-0 up in that tie. Did you get to see any of that or were you watching Chelsea get slightly embarrassed by Real Madrid like I was and then watched this afterwards. I was actually at five asides in which 
our team got threatened to be stabbed and killed, so I had quite an interesting Wednesday night. Um, won't go too much into okay, that. Okay, okay, no, 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 no. Actually, forget that. Forget the podcast. I, I, I need to hear about this. I think the audience at home needs to hear at least a short summary of that because you can't go. I nearly got stabbed and killed in something Glasgow, and then just leave it there to go and talk about Milan being definitely one nil. Yeah. So basically. Um, you might, some people might know him on Twitter. Uh, Reese Jenkins, who's also part of the team, was the one that was directly threatened. But there's this guy, we we're play, we're playing a league, and he obviously wasn't there for playing football. Like he was, he was in the years of people early on. He was like kicking, shoving. So Reese shrugged him off the ball, and he decided to to shove Reese back. So I stormed over and shoved him <laughs> right into. His other teammates, um, and the ref was calling us over. This guy was mouthing off, swearing quite a bit, and then it just went from zero to a hundred so quickly. He just turned around to Reese and went, "I'm gonna stab and kill you. I've got a knife on me," and proceeded for the next to get a red card, and then for the next half an hour, delay the game by not leaving, by standing outside the pitch, just shouting that he was gonna stab and kill us all, and that we'd see us in the parking lot. We're not getting up to the Roma, the Roma. The Roma, yeah, but is it just Jose Mourinho in the parking structure just yeah. waiting? <laughs> just waiting unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, maybe unfortunately, he was not there when the game ended. He must have left, but yeah, that was an interesting night. So that's why I missed Milan Napoli. I, I'll accept that as an excuse. To be fair, the fact that you were playing football instead and there in, in, instead of watching this great match <laughs> is your own fault. But I'll accept the excuse given the story. But no, it's. It tends to be a theme when Napoli don't have awesome hen, like they still create the chances, they just don't have that person to stick the ball in goal, like Kvart Skelly is still there but without awesome hen kind of dragging people out of position or just doing something ludicrous or just winning a header or volley because he is like this physical dominant force um, they do struggle to put the ball in the goal and um, this has a lot of shades of Milan-Tottenham, where Milan just... Well, Milan probably could have won more against Tottenham, but 1-0 first leg at home, shut up shop, and then they'll go away to, to the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, where they've won recently. And there's a bit of unrest between Napoli, hierarchy and the fans. There's obviously... is going to be missing, as is Kim Min-Jae from the second leg, so that... That's two big players in how Napoli defend and build up. So we could be looking at Casey's worst nightmare and a Milan derby in the semi-final of the Champions League. The, the footballing gods knew the vibes were too good for this world, for Benfica and Napoli. They just were like, no, the, hips, the football hipsters can't have nice things. They've got to watch AC and Inter just kick it to each other for 180 minutes and then win, goes for own penalties. One of them goes for own penalties. Um... We'll move on to Europa League now. I, I, I did hint at this, but Roma lost 1-0 to Feyenoord. I think it was Wifa who scored. Wifa. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, we'll just go with that. Wifa sounds a bit <laughs> dodgy. Um, and then Juventus won 1-0 against uh, Sporting because of a Gatti goal. And I, he can't get keep getting away with this, Max Allegri. It was honestly awful to watch. I watched it back. Um, late on last night uh, in between my succession binge um, I decided I'll watch a bit of Juventus I couldn't get through it it was awful it was so bad 
and then obviously Gatti just bundles it into the net and I'm like oh god damn it like <laughs> Max Allegri strikes again uh, but yeah I, I, I mean both teams are probably still in both those ties are probably still in the mix because both teams weren't great I think Roma you'll probably have an interesting stat about Roma to talk about <laughs> because we were talking about it off camera Oh, I yeah, like... I, I can't remember the exact figures, but Roma had something like seven or eight shots in the game, and only one of those wasn't with their head. So that'll tell you exactly how Roma attacked. I mean, Roma, a Feyenoord were a much better team than Roma, and it's all about like the playing styles, I guess, kind of come into that. Slots come under a lot of praise for how he's getting this Feyenoord team playing. They've got a lot of interesting and exciting players. Um, but then Roma have the experienced guys that, and they know how to send. I mean, they've got Matic in the middle of that pitch who's been through it all. He's like 34, 35 now, can still somehow move so weirdly well. Um, but yeah, I mean, Roma might have even scored. It was one of the closest goal line decisions I've ever seen. I genuinely thought it was in when I first seen it. Ibanez headed it and I can't remember who the final player is but I managed to somehow head it off the line. It was crazy. Danny, you're a, Danny, you're a Liverpool fan. You can't say that's the closest goal line decision that you've ever seen because we both know that that's not the case and I know you've tried to put it out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, they won't remind you of that one. <laughs> and then, yeah, Juventus... Um, an interesting game, I watched it live. Sporting will feel really hard done by that. They didn't at least get away with, a, uh, well, I was going to say a point, but like a 1-1 draw. Um, Perrin made some exceptional saves right at the end of the game to keep them out. Um, I thought Sporting were really good and managed to create a lot of chances, managed to cause UV problems. I mean, there was times where Juventus couldn't even get out of their own half. Um, they just they had no way to build up. Um, and then, yeah, I think also Chesney went off with some sort of troubled breathing, and he he was proper. He was having, he was, yeah, he was having chest pain, so he was asked to be substituted off. And obviously, he's going to have scans and stuff on that. So hopefully, he's all all good. Which was quite frightening because he there was like he was sobbing, like he was in a he was really crying um it was the in the first half two players went off absolutely sobbing so Shishesny went off with obviously just pulled up out of nowhere and it was very frightening and then um St. Just for sporting it looked like he just tore his hamstring and he was so it was a game affected by injuries and then yeah Vlavic came on UV did what they do and scored from a set piece from a Vlavic headed the ball um, I think it was Sebastian Quates cleared it off the line but not far enough and Gatti got his first ever Juventus goal in a European knockout tie and he's actually improved quite a lot um, recently, he's, he's looked really good in defence and he got his goal and it obviously meant a lot for lot to him because he just went absolutely wild Yeah we spoke a bit about Gatti when we were doing the U Juventus pod with Stephen and I think obviously I love the whole rag to riches Serie D to Serie D and working as a mason up to Juventus and playing as Serie A. I just wish it wasn't with Juventus because it's very hard to like Juventus. <laughs> I just I just do not enjoy watching them. Um, just finally moving on to the Conference League, Fiorentina, kind of business as usual. Uh, they're playing Lake Poznan, who are a 
much weaker team, won 4-1 thanks to goals from Alfa Cabral, who's been in fantastic form in recent weeks, Nico Gonzalez, Bonaventura and Jonathan Acone. Um See any of this? I, I saw the goals. I thought it was just it, it was just the sort of Fiorentina really cashing in on the, the they created a lot of chances. They cashed in on it, and they're probably through purely off the fact that they've just absolutely dominated that tie so far. Yeah, they're beating a the team they really should beat. They've got much deeper resources than like Poznan, um, but yeah, impressive. Would probably say they're favourites for the Conference League now. I mean, West Ham aren't very good. Uh, and drew away in Belgium. I think Nice Basel was two two, um, and then Alkmaar got beat by Anderlecht. I think Feyenoord are stronger than all those teams. Uh, not Feyenoord. Fiorentina, <laughs> the F teams, muddle up in my brain, um, are much stronger than than those teams. And now you can sort of just rest almost everyone for that second leg. They're four one up. They still have. A lot to fight for in the league now. They've come; they're quite close to Juventus. They could qualify Europe through that way instead of the Conference League. But yeah, I think I would have them as, as my favourites to win that whole competition now. Yeah, there were, there were some good things happening in the UEFA Conference League. Something that probably our our friends over on the Everybody Eats podcast that will be discussing is the uh, the Terra Moffi overhead kick that he did in the Nice game. Uh, we might actually uh, we might we might do a crossover at some point. It depends on the Conference League. If if the French teams start playing the uh, the Italian teams because that's the only t- league where French teams are still left, uh, then we might have a little chat or a quick episode with them. But we'll see. We'll we'll, 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 we'll do some stuff behind the scenes to try and get that moving. Um, but just on to the sort of little bits of news that we kind of want to talk about. You've already mentioned the summer rest between uh, the fans and De Laurentiis. It's, it happens periodically. I feel like the fans get very annoyed at De Rolentes and De Rolentes goes, well, it's my money and I own the club, so F all of you. <laughs> just, just just storms off. Quite a, quite a, quite a figure. I mean, he, he, he's, the he Itali- is... he's the Italian Logan Roy. He's just Logan Roy from Succession. I've been watching Succession and just trying to think of football analogies because obviously it's nice with writing. I'm just like... He's the Italian Logan Roy. He's just like, oh yeah, but it's my club. And I do it the way I want. So you know what? Go away. You're not gonna get me out of a deal. You're not gonna get me out of here. So yeah, middle finger I up. Th- I'm on, on my way out. Yeah, I think there's like meetings this week to resolve some of it because it's getting a wee bit toxic. And obviously, Napoli are about to win their first league title since the '80s, and now this is happening, which is it's not great for them. But I'm sure it's it'll not put a dampener on their season. Yep, uh, Barella being linked away from Inter again. I'll let you take lead on that because of the club he's being linked with, mainly. Yeah, um, linked to Liverpool, of course. Uh, I think I'm very of the opinion that he might be the perfect midfielder for us, but I think some of the figures that are coming out are... I, I know Inter have financial troubles, which I think we're going to touch on with the n- next news. Um, but, yeah, I don't see them selling for the quoted price of 50 million i think it'll be much more than that but as we've said before i think everyone at inter does have their price and they've only got so many sellable assets if you look at the squad that will get them a big hefty chunk of money so you've got bastoni barella dumfries lataro and that's about it i think if, unless i'm forgetting anyone i um, think that's about it i think demarco is probably someone that you might be able to sell to another italian club for about 25 
million, but I think that's kind of a max, I think, in terms of that bracket. So when it comes down to it, if, if a club and the, the Premier League financial wealth offers you money, Inter might not be in a position to say no, it will just be up to Barella to make that decision. Yeah, and then finally, we're talking about Inter's kind of financial state, uh, Leeds owner Andrea Radzi- Radziani, I'm going to say that, that's probably not how you pronounce it, my Italian pronunciations really need to get better since I'm doing an Italian football podcast, um, has been rumoured to be leading a $1 billion takeover. I, I wrote something the other day on the Chinese Super League, obviously, and kind of like the growth of football in China. Obviously, one of the big things of that was the Sunning Group buying into Milan. And a couple of years ago, I think it's a couple of years now, they their actual team in China, Jiangsu Sunning, won the league and then was folded months later because of financial issues. And those financial issues have not gone away. So they're kind of financially struggling with Inter. And because they spent a lot of money, because they brought a lot of players in, this is what we're talking about, as in who do they have to sell in order to rebuild that squad? Because they've kept players probably for longer than they should have because they haven't had the money to replace them. I'd say Brozovic, they probably should have maybe sold this summer for a bit of a fee to get a younger person in. I know he's he's, in, he's incredible, but I think he's on his decline now. Um, and I think they've obviously not been able to offer players like Milan Skriniar the money that they want, so they're now looking elsewhere. I think he's going to PSG. So yeah, it's a bit of a mess, and I think they need this takeover to kind of get back to where they need to go to actually like have a stable foundation to get this rebuild started. Because the worst thing that could probably happen is they sell all these sellable assets that they have that we've just mentioned, and the money just doesn't go towards any transfers because they're trying to make back money on what on their investment. Yeah, there's some quite like haunting images of Suning's training base in China, like this big multi-million training base that's just left empty um, and obviously Inter and Sunin, Inter fans and Suning have had issues in the past because Suning have been made false promises, they've obviously sold assets year on year um, they've not backed the manager which is why Antonio Conte left um, I'm sure I read that this sale to Radziani um, hinges on the San Francisco 49ers buying more of Leeds United uh, they're one of the main owners there as well and I can't really comment on how good an owner Raziani's been at Leeds I guess he's been there before then there was another Italian owner of Leeds that was a bit mental um, and then this one came in and obviously they've gone from the championship to being a Premier League club um, and being in the Premier League for a couple of years now so it's a big step up, though, to lead a, a one billion consortium to Inter Milan, where the expectation will be to win the league every year. But I think if you offered Inter the chance of sooning out, I think they'd take it. Yeah, I think the Inter fans are getting to a point where it's like we don't even really want to lead, uh, win the league every year. We just want to be relevant because, as we're probably going to discuss, this Inter Milan team could quite easily not qualify for Europe or not even be in the top six. But I'm I'm getting ahead of myself there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so yeah, I think that kind of finished up, up the roundup. So we're going to talk about the top four race. Uh, the league's pretty much won. I, 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 I like to say this. I, I think I can definitely say the league is won because I think if they do not win it now, Napoli somehow, I don't, I think it's, they're very close to mathematically winning it. If they don't somehow win it now, I think a lot of people look stupid, not just me. So I can probably say they're definitely going to win it. The 16 points clear. The thing is, below there is where the real fun is happening in the Serie A this season. I'd say there are 
there are obviously three remaining spots in the top four, um, a bit more for Europe. And I think at this point, there is a there is probably a chance down to like ninth. One of those teams is someone that me and Danny have have strangely had had a tumultuous relationship over the course of this podcast with. I mean, we are, we're not probably going to touch on them in detail. We'll probably touch on them in detail in a lot in a longer episode. But Fiorentina were really, really struggling. And then they've just won nearly every game since. And now they're what they're, they're now 11 points off the top four. So, yeah, I think they might end up in a European place because I think they're really, really good. Yeah, they're the most informed team in the league. Um, I think they drew just with Spezia a lot last time out, which was the first time they hadn't won in ages. Everything's just clicked. Um, as soon as we, I mentioned them as the most underperforming team in my and now our very first pod, they've like basically just been on a roll. Um, Italiano got them playing such good football. Uh, Cabral's, who we've touched on a lot, is scoring a lot of goals and <laughs> eating more than anyone in the team. Is what he said the other day that he is the first in the kitchen and eats more than anyone else. So maybe that's the key to his success. It's <laughs> like it's like the Fernandez chocolate cocoa pops thing. <laughs> Like he gets first, he gets first offerings. He just st- storms all the way to the front of the queue, just like, give me it. It's like I eat on the pitch, I eat in here first. I think Fiorentina, I think Fiorentina as well are like one of the best teams to watch, just because of their tactics. They're very progressive. They're very attacking. They're easy on the eye. Um, I love the purple kits, so maybe that makes them easy on the eye too. Um, but yeah, I think probably top four is too far out and I think other Fiorentina will come up against teams stronger than them and probably not be able to do what they've been doing but I I can see them like we said they're in the conference league and if they win that they get Europa League football anyway I'm sure is what happens Um, but they could as well get conference league or Europa League place in the league anyway yeah, I mean, the next game's out against Atalanta, so that's a big game in terms of the swing of whether they probably end up in the sort of top four discussion. Um, also in the sort of top nine, what I don't think they're really going to make a push for it is Bologna. They've got AC Milan next. I, I think that they're, they're just too kind of trotting along to say that they'll probably make a push. I think they'll just kind of stick where they are in eighth. Uh, we talked about Bologna last week, so I think we would probably... Unless you want to add anything there. Well, what I'll say is they have a big say in, in this top four race because they play Milan this weekend, they play Juve at home, they play Roma at home. Like, those teams need to win, and Bologna play all three. So if they can take points off them, they'll they'll be the party poopers. Yeah, the, the, the stumbling block, I was going to say, but party poopers works as well. Um, we'll go back up the table now because I just wanted to mention those those two before we got into the sort of the main contenders in, in, in the mix. So we have Lazio. I think Lazio are probably the most nailed on to the top four of these top four fighters because they've just, in recent weeks, been excellent. They've been excellent all season, but I think in recent weeks they've really pulled away from the sort of unseriousness of the rest of the league. Because I think this is the reason we're having such a big top four race is because the likes of Inter and AC, who were up there, have absolutely just messed up completely and just had a massive stumbling block. So it's allowed other teams to kind of creep back in. But I think Lazio have been like the most consistent performers of all of them. Um, 
They've been playing under well under Sarri this season. Uh, the remaining fixtures we'll go through are against Spezia. That's their next game. They should win that. Then they've got Torino. And then a big game against Inter. Uh, then they've got Sassuolo. They're playing them. They're playing AC. So they've got the two Milan sides within three weeks. Then they've got Lecce, Udinese, Cremonese and Empoli. So that run-in for them is is quite good. I think they've got five pretty easily five pretty easily winnable games. Two kind of more difficult in Torino and Sassuolo. And then they've got two big fixtures in there. But I think they're, they are four points clear. No, they are five points clear of Roma in third. They should be fine, I think. Yeah, like you said, their fixtures on the whole, I think, are probably the most favourable of all the, the teams in there. And even their two hard games, which is both at the San Siro, so away to into first, then Milan, they've got that five-point cushion so even if you say worst case scenario they drop six points they'd only be a point behind Roma given Roma don't like obviously win every game so yeah they're they're fine and they have one of the most informed attackers in the league in Zaccagni who needs to be called up to the Italy squad sooner rather than later they have Luis Alberto and um, Milinkovic-Savic in the middle of the park who make a difference. If, if we go back to the Juventus game, that winning goal where Alberto shifts it out with like a little back heel to Zaccagni was in- exceptional. Um, and I think there's one player you wanted to touch on in Romagnoli. Yeah, I love Romagnoli. I mean, I, I obviously used to be a big Roma fan. Uh, he's now crossed the divide after a time at AC. But I'll touch a bit on Zaccagni before we move on, I think I kind of mentioned these sorts of players um, last year, uh, last last year, last week, um, when I was talking about Orsolini. He's kind of taken the same sort of run as Politano has. Obviously, being someone who's been in a sort of lower league team for a while, he was at Hellas Verona, and he's then kind of worked his way up to being in one of the top, the seven sisters, the top sides. I think he's been excellent this season. I think he's been a really good player, and obviously he's been. He's been a really breath of fresh air, especially since this season. It's been like the first season where Cyril Immobile, or Cyril Immobile has not been this absolute dominant force of. He scores tons of goals, but can you name me one of them? <laughs> is the is how I always say about Cyril Immobile. He's been, but Romagnoli. I think a big thing of how Sarri's been playing is how stable they've been at the back, um, especially in terms of build up and defensively. I think that they've been excellent in that regard. They have, they've got a good goal distance. They've got twenty six. That's the thing. Their goal differences compared to the other teams. Most of the other teams, like you look at Roma, Milan, Inter, they're all around the 13, 12, 15 mark. Lazio are on double that with twenty six. Um, I think they've been really good defensively, and that's a good spread. I think it's forty six to twenty goals conceded. I think they've conceded the least of all of the top nine sides. Actually, I should have probably said that. Yeah, they've conceded the least of all of the top nine sides. Uh, with 20 goals and I think a big part of that has been Roman Nolly he's been really good at the back he's really come into his own um, and I think he's been excellent and obviously I've got to give the flowers to the rest of the team I think that um, really solid at the back is probably the, and that also links into the midfield a bit as well yeah they're, they're by far the second best coach team in the league I mean Sarri's always been viewed as this like very attacking ball dominant coach and they are very ball dominant, which helps with the defensive end. I think 
also they have some of these like peripheral guys in the league that they've brought in and made into a really solid unit so Roman Yoli was not first choice at Milan anymore um, Hisai left back from Napoli wasn't getting picked over um, Mario Rui anymore like they've picked up these these guys from other Serie A clubs and they've done very well. Even their goalkeeper situation is quite funny. So they signed Maximiliano from Granada in the summer for, I think it was over ten million. Who was like one of the best performing goalkeepers underlying numbers wise. But he did he get sent off in his first game or he messed I think he up? Sent, I think he was sent off in the first game. He had an absolute disaster of a first game. I think he hadn't played for a bit and then he came in had his first game messed up and then it's been Provedal ever since and he's been excellent so yeah so Sarri Sarri's played him once I think since and then Provedal who they picked up from Spezia um, has looked very very good in the goals yeah and then the, there's guys there that, that Sarri's taken and inherited as well like Kisali um, like Lazovic who have just kind of taken a step forward and, and really produced I mean like Felipe Anderson bounced around West Ham Porto for a few years has come back to Lazio and looked like a very good attacker again so it's all about the coaching and Sarri's got this very set unit and and defined tactics that work every week um, at this point and yeah kudos to him because he, he wasn't given time at Chelsea he wasn't given time at Juventus but he's been given time at Lazio and he's showing exactly what he can do yeah, it, it, this is very. If Lazio are much more likable as a team, obviously we're not going to go into why they're not likable. But I'm sure that everyone will say why not because it's pretty, pretty out there and obvious. Um, they probably would be considered in the same breath, in some ways, as a sort of like tear down from Napoli, the Napoli team that Sarri did, because they have a lot of the same structures, they have a lot of the same style, they have a lot of the same sort of fluidity. It's just they're just not a likable club. Um, <laughs> But we're going to move across the capital to Roma in the third. Um, yeah, Roma are a weird side because I feel like they should probably be okay, but there's a very good chance they're not um, as well. I think they have a, they have an they have an easier run in as well, but they probably are, it's like half and half for them. They play Udinese first at home, then they play Atalanta away, which is going to be a big game, and then Milan at home. That's also a big game. Monza is a bit of a stumbling block, I think, because Monza have shown this season that they can trip up bigger teams because they don't really know how to deal with their sort of style of play. Then they play Inter, so that run's not great for them. Then they play Bologna, Salatana, uh, Fiorentina, and Spezia. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's winnable games in there, but then there's also a lot of they could fall quite fast if they, they hit a bad patch of form and... There is also the sort of consideration that if they do get through in the Europa League, will Mourinho just say sack it and go for the Europa League as the Champions League aiming point? I think that's always a thing. Mourinho did it with United um, a couple of years ago where he, he started losing in the league and he was just like, oh, okay, we'll just go for the Europa League because that'll be our way in. And if, if the path starts to open up for Roma, that could be something he considers. But what do you think about the team so far this season? Yeah, very hurt and miss, a very Mourinho team. Um, I think the big thing is that Dybala went off injured uh, against Feyenoord and he's the only one with over 10 goals or he's in double figures 
Um, they don't really have anyone else that's consistently putting the ball on the goal. Um, Abraham only has about six league goals. Uh, El Shirari comes in, but he's more of an impact sub. They've got Saul back in the same from Bodo Glimt, who has come in, but he's only got one league goal. And is still quite young and raw, like coming from Norway to Italy is a big step. So, yeah, I I think if you offered Mourinho the chance to maybe go through against Feyenoord and it just goes down to four teams in the Europa League and he'll be up against maybe Juventus, who he has a strong dislike for, maybe United, who he would probably run up the touchline again, against again if he... If he beat them, like I think he would thrive more in that Europa League environment than I would put money on Roma getting through the fixtures in the league. I don't see them finishing top four based on the, what I've seen previously and, and the fixtures to come. I think they've got a lot of... They don't have as many standout, like, bigger games, but I think they've got quite a lot of banana skin games. Like, Bologna away, Fiorentina away, Monza away, Atalanta away are all very hard games so yeah I, I don't see them being in my final top four um, but with Mourinho you never know it's, it's Mourinho's penchant to just absolutely especially if Dybala's injured he will dig in to like it's no one's business obviously Dybala's deal to Roma was probably a very good one I think it was a very it's a very old school Serie A deal in the sense of it's a guy who has become a lot lesser respected and fallen out of favour at his club. Someone's gone, look, just come to our club. We'll put you on the pitch regularly. Do your thing. Do what you know you're good at. We'll put a low release clause in there. Just prove yourself with us. And then if you want to go, you can go. Like, I think Roberto Baggio had that as well. Like, Roberto Baggio's season with Bologna years and years ago was sort of like, his little, I'll go to someone a bit less below my station or where I am right now to prove myself to get back up to where I need to go. So I think that was kind of a really big deal. But if you look at the rest of the team, I don't. I think they've been storing too much. I don't know where the goals come from without Dybala. Obviously, Tammy Abraham only has, I think it's six or seven in the league. Um, Lorenzo Pellegrini is kind of here and thereabouts. He gets goals when they're important, but I don't think he's regular and as we've already said, like El Shirari's been more of an impact sub. There's not really anyone there who I'm like, when when the worst comes to worst, they'll be the one who get them the edge. And I think the the thing is, is like I can I don't see him. I can see him drawing quite a lot here. Like I, I, they might not lose. They might do what Mourinho does and bet in. But I don't see I don't see him winning a lot. I just see him drawing, and drawing is not enough with how many teams are in this running. They've really struggled like up top. Because Abraham isn't now heavily underperforming what he should be scoring after like an excellent first season. Then they brought in Bellotti, who's like this excellent Serie A striker who, for a lot of years, like kept Torino up basically. But he's not even scored a league goal this season. I think he scored quite a few in the Europa League, but he's not scored in the league. They'll need him to step up because Abraham went off with what looked like a dislocated shoulder last night, so he might be out for the next few games. Um, I think if they can get get Bellotti putting the ball in the goal, maybe they've got a chance, but based on the evidence of this season, he's not been getting into areas that will help him score goals. Bellotti's been dropping back a lot, and if you don't have Dybala, if your front 
three is maybe Bellotti, Sharari, um, Solbach, and you're relying a lot on set pieces and Chris Smalling and Ibanez and maybe Wijnaldum or even some of your taller guys to like score headers and like we mentioned before about how they attacked against Feyenoord it's they're struggling to get an attacking rhythm yeah I, I, I think that that's the case I think they, they are probably one of the teams that are going to fall out we move on now to move away from Rome we move to Milan uh, one of the other great footballing cities and it's kind of a, a, a tale of two sort of trends. Obviously, Milan was struggling, AC was struggling a lot earlier in the season. They seem to have found their rhythm again. And if we look at their running, I think they'll be fine. Uh, they've got Bologna away, uh, Lecce. They've got Roma away, Cremonese, Lazio at home, Spezia, Sampdoria, Juventus, Hellas, Verona. There is a lot of points there. Like, yeah, the, uh, yeah, there's some struggling games and the games that they can definitely lose, but I think there's games that they are definitely winning in there. I think they probably have the second easiest run in. Um, yeah, I think they should beat Bologna, they should beat Lecce, they should beat Cremonense, they should beat Spezia, they should beat Sampdoria, and they should beat Hellas Verona. And that's, what, uh, 15 points off that? that that's, a, that's a very good return. Like, obviously, I, 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 the rest of the games there are 50-50 on their form. Obviously, Liao's coming right back into form. I think he's the next one. Um, and the kind of the the rest of the team are now actually starting to do good things. Like I don't think they're doing them all consistently, but they're they're each kind of stepping up when they need them to step up and do something. Like obviously Brahim Diaz, I think has improved a lot the last couple of games. Um, I think Salamakas has been really good at right wing back. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of like I think that they have enough to get over the line. Yeah, I think Milan are fine just because they've got people back fit. So I think the biggest one is is Magnon, who is just like by far and away the best goalkeeper in the league, um, and can win games by by himself, especially in the Champions League. Um, he's done that numerous times. But yeah, if, if you've got him there, and then you've got this now solid defensive unit, I think Calabria's back as well. Um, Tamori's fit. Hernandez is always there. I think yeah, they're they're a really solid defensive unit now, and then they have these guys going forward, and like you said, Liao, who had kind of a maybe an up and down few months, is now right back in form. Like he went away to to Napoli and just ran the show. There was obviously that Kavarit Skelia Liao debate that was fueling, and Liao just stood up and, and was counted, and he got the assist against Napoli in the Champions League in the week as well. And um, Benasar, who has had a lot of injury issues as fit and I think he's one of the best midfielders in the league as well so yeah I think Milan have probably the second best team like starting 11 in the league I would say that I would prefer their starting 11 to, to Lazio's but they've just had a lot of injuries and I think with that run in Milan yeah I think unless they get heavily distracted by champ the Champions League campaign um, and in a, a, a potential semi-final I think yeah I would I'd definitely have them finishing third in my yeah, and then we move on to the other side of Milan, and this is this is the weird thing. Like Inter obviously beat Benfica two 0 but their team's not good. I don't know where the goals consistently come from, and I don't know what structure they're gonna go with. I think that they've just been the last few weeks. They've kind of been in free fall. They've just been struggling to kind of see games out or see what to do in games like it just seems like there's absolutely no structure there at all obviously Inzaghi was um, his 
position was called into question in the future. Uh, and that kind of has been... He's kind of been propped up by their Champions League farm, I think, this season. But you look at this, their run-in, I think their run-in is just awful, <laughs> for want of a better word. Uh, they've got Monza at home. Again, that's a banana skin game. And then they've got Empoli. But then they've got Lazio. Hellas Verona. Hellas Verona is always a weird one because I think like, the better teams can beat them, but I think that they will definitely be in for a scrap. They will want to win because obviously they are just kind of hovering in that place of they want to kind of get back up uh, and avoid relegation. Then they've got Roma away. Then they've got Sassuolo at home. Then they've got Napoli away. Atalanta at home. And then Torino away. That final five is horrible for any team to try and find any form anyway and a team that's already struggling whether this Benfica game will be a kick, uh, a kick up the backside for him I don't know but they're really relying on Lotaro Martinez actually hitting consistent goals because he is their top scorer by a quite a considerable amount he has been their best player this season um, but he just has those times where he just forgets how to hit a net <laughs> I mean, Inter won one game in the entirety of March in all competitions. They obviously went through the Champions League, but I think I don't think they. Well, they obviously that second game was no no, but yeah, they they are not in a good way. Um, Lataro gets a lot of chances, scores sometimes, but also massively underperforms in that sense. Um, I think the world saw it at the World Cup and those first few games that's the Lataro Martinez you get a lot of the time and then if you look at who's partnering him Dzeko is 35-36 now and has just dropped off a lot from what he, he was look, he looks 35-36 that's the thing like last season he was playing really well but like this season it's just like his legs are going and he just looks old yeah and they tried to offset that by bringing Lukaku in obviously but he's not clicked he's scored a few goals recently but they've been penalties He's obviously having, like, there's issues with the racist behaviour towards him um, that he's experienced, which is not nice. But in a footballing sense, that transfer hasn't clicked. Mil eh, not Milan. Inter won't have the funds to make that permanent, so you have to question his desire until the end of the season. He's obviously a professional, but... Yeah, I don't don't see where the goals are coming from, like you said. Uh, Bastoni's fit again and got an assist against Benfica, but... Defending is not really Inter's problem. It is going forward. And like you said, with those games, there's a lot of tough ones where they're going to need to outscore the opponent. I just don't know if I see them doing that. Yeah, I mean, like the supporting cast really hasn't chipped in this season is kind of their big thing. Like, obviously, Barella's got seven goals in all competition, six assists. But then you look at, like, Mkhitaryan, Kalahogny, uh sort of, Goosens, Dumfries, they're all like milling about like three, two goals. Like Denzel Dumfries, like his his presence on that right at that right wing last uh, when they won the title and also last season was really impressive. Like I don't think he's a good player and I don't think he'd fit in elsewhere. Hence why I always say don't buy him for forty million. Do not give Inter Milan money for that man um, or that amount of money. But he, his goal scoring and how he kind of like crashed into the box was really important how they played and also how they spaced out and did a lot of things and he's just not been doing that this season so I think yeah I think Inter will not get top four I, I, I said it at the start I probably said I don't know if I said it on this it's been a while now I don't even know if I said it on mic or off mic but I'll repeat it I do not even think that they will get top six I think they are going to crash so far down because I think that 
Simeone probably uh, Simeone Simone Zaghi <laughs> will probably focus on the Champions League if he gets past Benfica um, because like, I do not see them finding any form in the league and I think the other teams around them are better uh, and we're going to talk about one of those teams that are better and one of those teams that I, I want to see them get top four but I don't know if they will and I think we're both probably in this mindset is Atalanta so do you want to talk about Atalanta because I know it's a team that you deeply deeply love yeah I just don't think they're good enough to crash the party again um, they've really struggled recently Bologna beat them 2-0 in their last game they don't tend to beat the teams that are around or better than them this season so like if you look at they Napoli obviously beat them Udinese who are sort of sitting top half of the table they drew against they got beat by Milan they got beat by Sassuolo they got beat by Inter they maybe should have won at the Alliance against Juventus but they drew 3-3 they were too leaky I guess it, it's, they were a very good attacking unit and Lukman, Hoyland have been impressive but then if you look at Luis Muriel, and we were looking at it before we started the podcast, has more red cards in the league than he does goals this season. Um, Duvan Zapata, who I've really loved the past five years or so, has only got one goal. It's just... I mean, Atalanta's expectation should not to be... should not be to finish in the top four. Like, they don't have... They have, like, bottom half resources, or they have had. They probably don't anymore. So where they're sitting right now is is good for them. It's just we've got this expectation of them as a club now. Um, I don't. I could see them falling. I think they'll fall below Juventus, and they'll get into sort of like this little dogfight with Fiorentina, maybe Bologna, for that Conference League spot. Yeah, I, it's been a. I think a trend that we should probably talk about is it has been a really low-scoring Serie A season. I think. In general, like I know, obviously, Syria is not the most free-scoring league in the world at times, but Napoli are well out ahead with sixty-six goals. But then you look at the rest of the teams, and no one's really hit above fifty. And you look at—I'm looking at all these top scorer lists that we kind of compiled. Like it is a case of the top scorer is usually in double figures, and then the next guy is on like six. So I think that's been a case for Atalanta. Luckman scored thirteen, but in all competitions, but I think he scored them kind of in batches. Like he hasn't really consistently been doing it all season. He has scored those in batches, uh, and then and then the next one is Hoyland on seven, who isn't really. He isn't the main goal scorer, and he isn't considered the main goal scorer. He has spent a lot of time coming off the bench and stuff like that. He has he has been an impact sub in a lot of ways. Um, he's obviously become more and more given more responsibility, but he isn't he isn't the guy that they rely on to get goals. He has just been getting goals, and then you look at the rest of the team. It's like. Cooper Miners on six, and then it's like two, 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 one. Like there isn't really a consistent goal scorer in any of these teams. Like even Lazio, who are far and away one of the better teams, don't have a consistent goal scorer really. Um, but I, I, I would like Atalanta to get in the top four. I think, as we said, they've got a lot of tripping blocks like Fiorentina, Roma, Torino, Spezia, Juventus, Salerno. Alex Rony into Monza. Winnable games there. A lot of games where they're a lot below them. But as you said, there's those games that where the teams are around them is where they'll probably slip up and it won't be a draw or they might lose. And it kind of is like, yeah, it's whether they have enough because they're already outside the top four to kind of break in and then stay there. I now think, into the... Oh. 
I think there's a lot of like really good parts of this Atalanta team. So like Scalvini is this really exciting young defender slash midfielder. You could probably mould him into whatever you wanted him to be. Um, Joachim Mela is is a very good wing back. I really like Edison who came in from Salernitana. I think he's a solid midfielder. And then you have Lukman and Hoyland. But then there's some parts of the team that maybe it needs refreshed a bit in the summer. But also you'll have the Hawks swooping for their younger guys like Hoyland, like Scalvini. I think Hoyland's been linked to United already and Bayern. Um, Scalvini's been linked to Inter and Juventus. So... If you have an impre- if you have an impressive looking young striker this summer and you're not a, a, a top team with financial power, like financial staying power, you are trying to hide that striker in a cabinet under the stairs, hoping that no one ever sees them because the top teams are all looking for strikers this season and they are coming with like a lot of money. Like even Napoli, who have more money than most, are like, oh no. Aussie men will, will ask for 150 million and everyone's like yeah maybe we'll pay that and they're like oh no, no, no we should have asked for more we don't want to lose it so I think like maybe finishing in the Europa League is could be important to Atalanta because they could turn around to Hoyland they could turn around to Scalvini and say look just wait another year we can give you like this very good starting every week position while also playing in European football and yeah, there's like a gulf between the Europa League and the Champions League. But I still think I think the exposure of the Europa League got a lot more in recent years. It's become much more trendier, uh, maybe helped by BT Sports' catchy song for the competition. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh. <laughs> so sounds like it, that's my pain. That's my Thursday night pain. That's how I sound I make when United concede two on goals and all my defenders get injured. So I think, yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting summer um, as a case study Atalanta. Um, and they do have quite a lot of older guys like Palomino and things that have been there for a while. So we'll see. I think Europa League is, should be their aim. And I would like to see them get it because they're a very interesting squad that probably just needs some tweaks. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to see them get Champions League again because obviously I remember that season where they were just shocking for like three or four games and then won two and got into the next point and then they were really good. Um, but So heritage, but at the same time I just don't know if they have the edge that they need. On to the final team. Now, there is a big asterisk here that obviously we do not know the result of the appeal that Juventus are going to put in and if they win that appeal they will probably have their 15 point reduction, uh, deduction reverted which will put them second uh, by one point. So if this, ha- if this, I like to point out this. Well, how we're going to discuss them now is with without the asterisks of they basically get put second and way into the top four and probably can stay there because they can probably see it out. But on the standard of where they are now on, I think it's forty four points. Do Juventus have enough to get into the top four? Do you think, Danny? Yes. Big question. Uh- Yes, I think so. Um, Do you have to say that because your girlfriend's standing standing off camera, glaring at you? Is this uh, <laughs> is this your actual opinion? <laughs> no, no, I genuinely do, and it's not because I think they're better than some of the teams above them. I just think they know how to win one nil or by very slender margins a lot. If you look at like 
recent form. They obviously beat Sporting. That's not in the league, but they beat Sporting 1-0. They beat, before that, they beat Hellas Verona 1-0. Before that, they beat Inter 1-0 in the San Siro. Like, they beat Freiburg 1-0. Like, they just win 1-0 all the time. They know how to do that. Bremer is an absolute beast at the back. Like, wins nearly every duel you see him go into. So if you, he can sort of clamp the main guy of any team they play, which gives him a good platform. I think then Chiesa's coming a wee bit back into form. Di Maria's there, obviously, with Kostic and then taller guys and Di Maria's delivery and taller guys, they can always find the back of the net at some point. Like, I think they're just defensively solid to the point where it's absolutely disgusting to watch at points, but they can they can just go forward at one point and they have this sort of inevitability that they will score a goal in a game. I don't really see that. I, I just can't see them slipping up too much and I think even with the 15-point deduction, which I think by the time we'll have recorded the next podcast, that'll be decided. I think it's the 19th, so next Wednesday. I still can see them sneaking into that fourth position. I think if you ask me for the three teams in Napoli, I think it would be Lazio, Milan and Juventus. You just stole my question for the end of this <laughs> I, was I was literally like lining that up for the end of it, but you've already, you've already made your, 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 your claim. I think with Juventus, the one thing that I would say is they struggle, they have struggled against teams that are obviously around them this season, but they seem to, their biggest slip-ups always seem to be come, come against teams that play them in their own game. Like how teams who will defend deep, try and win off corners, kind of like be dominant on corners. That's I think where their biggest slip ups have come. Obviously, they play Sassuolo away. They play Napoli at home. Whether Osimhen's back for that is probably a big thing for them. The placement of Napoli fixtures is a big thing. Is Osimhen going to be fit um, when you play them? Is probably a big thing that, that these teams are thinking. Then they got Bologna away, which could be a hard little edgy match for them. Lecce at home. Atalanta away, Cremonese at home, Empoli away, Milan at home, and Udinese away. So they've got a. I, I, I think they should be okay. Obviously, they they've got enough to kind of edge Milan and Napoli out, if, especially if Napoli don't have their full team uh, and those middle middle of the road fixtures. But I, I would love if they just slipped up and just drew or lost to Lecce and Cremonese, which would be very funny because they've already done it this season where they've just slipped up against lower league teams. I, th- I think if you like look at the fixtures as well, like like Sassuolo won't sit in against Juventus, they'll, they'll come out and I think there's been times in the past where we've seen better Sassuolo teams and we've seen better Juventus teams and Juventus can just kind of pick them off because they have really talented individual players. The Napoli one will be interesting because I think even if you consider Napoli to have won the league, that's Napoli's biggest game. Like they have a very strong distaste for Juventus and for the if they could go away and like cap off this unbelievable season with a win in Turin, I think they would absolutely love it. I think the league in general should just get all together and like, look, we let Juventus run this league for nine years straight. Can we just not let them get top four when they got a 15-point deduction because that makes us all look bad? Like, I think someone should get them in a room and just shout that in their faces. just like, you're making yourselves look bad here. Do not let them get top four. <laughs> And yeah, and then like Bologna is similar to to Sassuolo. They won't sit in. They'll attack Juventus. Juventus maybe could pick them off. 
Lecce at home, we spoke about Lecce last week. They were just kind of in free fall a little bit. Juventus will win that. But you got to love a team in free fall going to Juventus and winning. That's 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 Those are the nicest ones. Those are the ones where you're like, mm, yes. It just <laughs> won't happen. Like, it just won't happen. I think Juve's fixtures are quite favourable and I would even... I would even have them beating Atalanta away and maybe Milan at home as well. I don't. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I don't know who, which of us would be considered the optimist in this situation. It's like, are you optimistic? Is it you're the optimist because you hope you will get top four? Am I the optimist that I hope they don't? <laughs> and then, yeah, I think what you said with the placement of Napoli fixtures is quite interesting because they play most of the teams that are in this fight. Like, but you could be getting a Napoli that are annoyed they've been knocked out the Champions League. You could be getting a, a Napoli that have just won the league and are. All of them are absolutely drunk uh, on their, their success and it's an easy game. You could get a Napoli that are like have no sort of nothing holding them back, no nerves. They've won the league. Let's just go out and show why we've won it. So yeah, that how Napoli play into this top four fight is quite interesting, I think. That will be an interesting game, especially if they've already mathematically won it. Because like you said, like there's you've already you always see it the team the, the game after they win it, they're just absolutely everywhere because they've just been out out and about having a nice time about it um so you've already stolen my last question of who i said the top four was going to be you've, you've said napoli lazio ac and juventus so i can't ask you that um is that the order you're going with do you think do you think ac might take over lazio or do you think lazio will stick in second i think we'll see milan just jump over lazio uh, Lazio will come third, Juventus fourth. Obviously, if the points deduction gets switched, I think obviously you'll see Juventus second, Milan third, Lazio fourth. Okay, that's 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 decent. Like obviously, I'm gonna go with non-points deduction getting um getting over to, getting overturned. I want it to stay. Um, obviously, if if it gets proven they've not done what they've done, then fair enough. Like I, it's better they they get the points back because. That's just the legal sense. Um, but it is just very funny in a footballing sense them not getting it back. So I'm going to go with Napoli. Audacious claim, I know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say AC second as well. I think Lazio have enough to stay in the top four. I just think that they might stumble a little bit and just kind of fall back down. Uh, just to, But I'm going to go with them third. Or with Lazio third. And you know what? Let's be fun and optimistic. Fiorentina... Give me a top four finish. Give me a top four finish just so I can rub it in Danny's face that on the first week of this podcast. He was like, I'm really underwhelmed by Fiorentina and I can just go, four, Champions League football. I just can't see it. Like, they've got a goal difference of two right now. <laughs> yeah, but that's because, that's because that goal difference of two was all the start of the season. Like, and I know, but... Like, the teams... Uh, I, honestly, what a, what a story that would be. And I th- maybe... In the next few years, they can build up to that, but I think... Actually, you know what, Saki? We didn't have this plan that we're going into the Fiorentina fixtures because I'm bringing this in because I've just looked at the fixtures. They've got Monza. They've got Cremonense. They've got Sampdoria. They've got Salatana. They've got Udinese, Torino, Roma, Sassuolo, right? And they've got Napoli on the 7th of May. That's definitely after they've won the league and they're all going to be drunk. I, I'm calling it. I'm saying it now. Fiorentina top four. I've been watching Fiorentina for the past few years that there are games in there they will not win i would love it but i, I just can't see it i think it's a step too soon maybe italiano gotta have something for me please <laughs> maybe maybe 
If he does that, Vincenzo Italiano is not at Fiorentina after this summer. Like, there is a club coming in for him and being like, yeah, just just take all of our money. <laughs> Please. Chelsea. Chelsea, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'd like I'd like Fiorentina, but I, I'll probably say uh, maybe Roma are in to figure themselves out and kind of just stabilise a bit uh, and get that fourth spot. Because I think Juventus w- could stumble a bit is probably the case. They can win 1-0, but obviously they can just get into this situation where, oh, we're stumbling a bit. And also, there is there is the consideration that if Allegri, if United end up getting knocked out by Sevilla, because we're in a mess, and Juventus get past Sporting, Allegri could go, well, my football's probably better suited to knockout football, and I can probably get win the Europa League with this team. Uh, then I can get Champions League that way. So he might not think that top four is necessary or wasting time trying to get top four is necessary um so i i think that's a good roundup i think we've done a lot there i think we've talked a lot on the teams i think we've, we've had some good laughs <laughs> we've looked at these teams and we've just kind of broke them down and given a little bit of an overview obviously we're going to be back next week with a team specific one i'm not going to say with uh who it's going to be but yeah um thanks for listening again danny do you have anything you want to say before we finish uh, nothing though just good pod thank you all for listening have a good weekend good pod thumbs up peace signs um, yeah get uh, an iced yeah. coffee nice get an iced coffee get an iced coffee you've not seen the weather in Manchester it is tipping it down is that um, not what it always is in Manchester though alright Glasgow <laughs> right anyway thank you again for listening Uh, We will see you next week around the same time. This has been the Seriously Good Podcast. I have been Casey. Ciao, everyone.